0: And now, the Low Post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast early on a Wednesday morning in Los Angeles, the day after LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul Jabbar as the all time leading scorer in the history of the NBA. I was there, and I have to say, I was actually more moved to be there than I, I thought I would be. Um, you know, there was some joking among media members before the game that nobody under 35 even cares about this record. It's a record, like no, it's not a record you know by heart. You know a lot of the baseball records you can name the number specifically by heart. This isn't one. and basketball's always been kind of weird with records. It has total records per game records, separate playoff records. um then you have the the three point shot starting to dominate the game ten years ago, fifteen years ago. that co- totally changed everything. It's like hard to know which records to count. But man, last night, last night at crypto, I, I actually got it crypto. It was just joyous. It was joyous all around to be there. And the fact that he needed 36 points actually kind of helped because there was a like, there was suspense. That's a lot of points. And and he clearly wanted to break it. The first possession of the game, he came out like a freight train and, and missed, or maybe it was a turnover. I can't remember. And he hadn't scored for four or five minutes in the game. It's like, oh my God, is he not going to break it? Is, it, is he going to get close and not break it? Is he going to stop trying to break it because he realizes the odds are against him. He'll just do it. In some anticlimactic way against the Bucks on Thursday where he needs nine points and everyone's gonna everyone knows he's gonna break it. It, it was really cool. Um and, and when you got to 20 at halftime, you kind of sensed, okay, okay, I think it's gonna happen. And it's just such an enormous number. Um, 38, 000, whatever it is. It's enormous. Like, think about that. It's just enormous. And I think the weight of that, the volume of it. Everybody can appreciate that. Just how much work and time and longevity and excellence that takes. Remember, it's not just longevity. He's like the fourth or fifth highest per game scoring average in the history of the league. He's going to get to 40,000 by himself. 40,000 points. He's the all-time leading scorer in the playoffs by a mile. And yeah, of course... There are more and longer playoff series now, with every series being a seven-game series than there were when some of the other great scorers played. Who cares? Do you really care? The dude made eight straight finals. Eight straight. There are entire NBA franchises who have not made one finals. LeBron, as a traveling human franchise, <clears throat> made eight in a row. By the time he got to 28, he went from 20 to 28 really fast in the third quarter. And that's when you knew, okay, this there's no way he's leaving this on the table at 28 with, like, 20 minutes left in the game, a game by the way, the Lakers needed to win. It didn't. And that's a whole different story. Everybody was standing after 28, even though there's no eight point basket. Everybody was standing. Everybody had their phones out. And normally I hate when people have their phones out at events like this, because you can just watch it with your eyes. Just watch it with your eyes. Let it wash over you. You'll see the tape of it in a million other places. Listen to it, experience it. And, and everyone's doing it just to post it on social media and be like, see, I was here. I'm very cool. I was at this cool thing. But I, I actually, it looked kind of cool. I, I was about 10 rows back in in the press section, very close to the court. I luckily had a very good seat. And the shot happened right in front of me when he broke it. um, And... I just kind of, everyone was standing. You couldn't see the game if you weren't standing. So the press, we were the last ones to stand. It's not really appropriate for us to stand. We're in people's way, we're there to cover the game, but we couldn't see the game. So everyone stands and everyone had their phone out in the same pose, like the Statue of Liberty pose. And it was very cool to kind of just look around the crowd. Normally you see that in like a dark concert and the phones are all lit up. It was cool to see it in a lit up arena. It just looked kind of cool. And it was very fitting that the shot with apologies to Thomas Bryant, who wanted the ball, poor guy, that the shot was a fadeaway jumper, a fadeaway two-point shot. That's a scorer's shot. It's a Jordan shot. It's a Kobe shot. It's a Dirk shot. It's a shot that LeBron has worked really, really hard on. He's very, very proud of it. He's very well aware that when people have talked about who's the best pure scorer, not even in the history of the NBA, in LeBron's prime, who's the best pure scorer, he was in the second tier of that discussion behind Kobe, behind Durant, behind Carmelo Anthony. Guys who were considered sort of more artistic scorers than, than he is. And, he, and he, he worked really, really hard on, on that shot. And I think one of the reasons he's not oftentimes put in that sort of pure scorer category is, I, I think, and he's talked a lot about this, including with me. I don't think he has like a signature shot in the half court we all know his signature in um his signature move really is probably his transition freight train left to right spin which is completely unstoppable and then the dunks the tomahawk dunks um and all of that you know his signature play the greatest play of lebron's career the play they're going to make a statue of someday is a defensive play The chase down block on Andre Godal. I don't even have to tell you what play it was. It was a play so spectacular that I was sitting in press row at the finals at Oracle Arena. While game seven was going on, I leaped out of my seat, ran over 10 seats away to a monitor that was about 15 seconds behind the action because I had to see immediately if he actually blocked that shot or if it hit the backboard first and it was a goaltend. The game was going on. The championship was at stake, and I had to leap from my seat to get clarity on, like, did that guy just do that? That, that was crazy. Um, and some of his biggest scoring games are known for the feats of other players. Ray Allen shot, Kyrie Irving's shot, J.R. Smith forgetting what the score was. Um, but that fadeaway, a, f- a few people I interviewed about LeBron recently, including Larry Nance Larry Jr., his teammate in Cleveland, said they would argue that fadeaway is his signature shot. And Larry Nance's favorite memory of LeBron as a scorer, he was on this team, was in 2018 in the second round against the Raptors in Toronto, the poor Raptors, who really thought they had a shot. They really did. Down 1-0 in the most anticipated series at that point, probably in the history of the franchise. Getting blown to smithereens in game two on their home floor. Series is over. You lose two games at home, you know it's over. And LeBron is just bored with the game. Just bored. And he decides in in the fourth quarter, I'm just going to have my own personal game of, like, can I make one ridiculous fadeaway turnaround jump shot in the post after another? And he did. He made, like, five or six in a row. We're on press row. I was at that game, too, like, laughing at the guy just clowning the Raptors with one fadeaway jumper after another, laughing at that he's so bored – with the entire concept of this team daring to compete against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the playoffs, he's just staging his own personal game. So Larry Nance Jr. would argue that's his signature shot. To me, I don't I don't know that it is because it, it feels like just his version of other people's signature shots. Um, and again, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the pure score discourse unfolds the way it is. By the way, I mentioned the J.R. Smith game. That was game one of the 2018 finals. 51 points, eight assists, eight rebounds, 19 of 32 shooting. For my money, it's the best game LeBron's ever played. It might be the best game I've ever seen anybody play. Steve Kerr told me it's on par with anything Jordan ever did. Andre Guadalla, no less an authority than Andre Iguodala, who of course guarded LeBron in so many big games, but not that when he was injured, told me it was a perfect basketball game. It's the He said it's the best game a human has ever played. I, I like that a lot. Um, a number of people told me maybe he's not known as a, as a pure quote unquote pure score on the level of those other guys anyway, because he's not kind of as, he's not as crafty. Kyle Korver said this isn't of the same like arsenal of footwork and arty dribble moves. And Harrison Barnes told me when, when Kyrie makes a layup, you really see the art of it in a way you don't with LeBron. Um, and that's because he's so big and strong and fast. He, he kind of doesn't need all the art. Should we, Should we fault him for that? The other thing is, most people that size, whatever he is six nine in a in a freight train, they can't dribble like him. They can't dribble like really all that well at all. like they can dribble, but they can't run an offense that's that's always been the secret sauce of Durant as much as the jump shot the handle for a seven footer. LeBron is a linebacker playing basketball and most linebackers playing basketball don't have anywhere near the craft and guile and skill level that he does. But anyway, the mid-range jump shot. That was, of course, LeBron's fatal flaw early in his career. Um, the 2007 Spurs embarrassed him in the finals when he and the Cavs just weren't ready and just let him shoot, let him shoot, let him shoot, swept him. <clears throat> he didn't get back to the finals till 2011 with the Heat when they were really just hated. Boy, was it fun to that, – that Heat team – that Heat team made the NBA so much fun. Everyone was rooting against them. And he melted down in the finals. Just melted down. There's no way around it. Like if you don't think – if you can never think LeBron's better than Jordan, that series is why. And honestly, like everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Michael Jordan never had a total meltdown like that. Even Michael Jordan's bad moments like getting caught at a casino during a conference finals against the Knicks somehow like turned into feats of heroism. For it, MJ was just Teflon like that. Um, and he came out of that series – determined to build himself into the most well-rounded scorer that maybe the game has ever seen. He worked with David Fisdale and Eric Spolstra and all the Heat staff on becoming an elite post-up player. And to hear Andre Iguodala talk about guarding LeBron in the post, I wish you guys have heard this conversation. I wish I had it in person. I wish I had it in person on a court with him because he was talking about what a chess match it was to go against LeBron in the post, how he had all these little tricks that unless you're right there, zoomed in, you don't even see little ways of like knocking your arm away, um, hitting you in the leg, uh, shifting his weight to just get you a little bit off balance. Little, little things that Andre said kind of verge sometimes on flopping just to create contact. He said it was a chess match. Unlike any other um, he's ever been in. And of course, if you rewatch that finals against the thunder LeBron's first title with the heat, he beat them from the post. He destroyed them from the post. He became an incredible screener in the pick and roll, which is something he never really did in Cleveland. and something he did for Dwayne Wade. If you ask Eric Spolstra, he calls that a sacrifice. LeBron sacrificed because he's all most great players. They just are comfortable with the ball in their hands at the top of the arc. LeBron was a shaky shooter at that time. Dwayne Wade was a shaky shooter at that time. They both live in the paint. They had to find some way to cooperate together in a two man game that was that that th- that they were both kind of on the ball and that was the way and he became maybe the most devastating roller in the league. Andre Iguodala again told me, "Zach, you don't understand, man. LeBron became such a good screen setter. He knew exactly how to set screens. The angle, the physicality, the re-screen that you had to switch. You had to switch." And switching a small guy into LeBron is not an option. We had to change our whole defense just to account for LeBron as a screener. He became a great cutter in Miami. And when I showed him a clip of him, I I interviewed LeBron at Barclays Center last week. When I showed him a clip of him cutting in game one of the 2018 finals of J.R. Smith, he cut down the slot for a dunk. He lit up like... A Christmas tree. I couldn't believe how excited he was. He went on like a 90 second monologue about a play that the Cavs ran with Mo Williams and Junis Agauskas on one side and LeBron taking an off ball screen from Anderson Vergeau on the other side at the same time to cut in for dunks. And that's how he really learned to be a cutter. He talked about his high school coach, Keith Am- Jambro, um, teaching him how to cut. He talked about Dwayne Wade. He, he lit up. And I think his ability to score in all of those different ways. It, this is my theory, at least almost made it hard for us to process that he was in front of us maybe the all-time greatest scorer ever because he could do so much of everything that you didn't see one thing over and over and over again that you thought, well, that's how LeBron scores. His Even his greatest scoring, like if you rewatch game six of the 2013 finals against San Antonio, that's the Ray Allen game. It's an incredible LeBron scoring game. And it kind of sneaks up on you. He had 16 points in the fourth quarter of that game. He scored in seven baskets, I think, in seven different ways. And you kind of like, wow, he had, he, had, he had 16 points. That's a lot of points. Um, and, and the other thing is his best skill has always been passing. And I, I guess in some ways that makes it hard to process that he's an all-time great scorer. To me, th- those things interact. These skills are not separate things. They they amplify each other. They lift each other up. His passing helped him become the best scorer volume-wise in the history of the NBA. Because when you know no matter what help scheme we send to him, he is going to pick it apart, think about what that does to your defense. Think about the uncertainty that it inflicts on you. Harrison Barnes told me our golden rule with the Warriors was – We got to show him bodies. So when LeBron gets the ball to triple threat, he's got to see layers of defense behind him. So he knows the rim's blocked off. He's got to find another solution. But the sub-golden rule was those bodies, they can't be aligned the same way two possessions in a row. Two possessions in a row. It's a no-go because if he's seen it once, he'll have it figured out. Think about what that does to your defense because of his passing – Think about how that makes it easier for him to score because you're worried about all the other stuff he might do with the ball. Anyway, back to last night's shot, the fadeaway over Kenrich Williams. LeBron told me the biggest shot of his career, the one he's proudest of, is not a buzzer beater. It's not some crazy dramatic shot. It's the simple 19 foot pull up two on the pick and roll. He hit with about 30 seconds left in game seven of the 2013 finals against the Spurs to put Miami up four too early in the game to say he clinched it for him, but up four with like 26 seconds or whatever it was left. It's now a free throw contest where if you take care of your free throws, you win. And it's a very simple shot. Rewatch it. It looks like it could happen like with eight minutes left in the second quarter. Oh, you went under a screen. I got room. I'm going to shoot. It's the proudest shot of his career because it's the shot that teams made him take for so long. It's a shot that he even told me, In the middle of that finals, he began to grow discouraged. That's the word he used, discouraged, with his jump shot because the Spurs were giving it to him. And in his view, he wasn't punishing them enough. He was discouraged. Eric Spolster told me that's the shot he had to conquer. It's a shot they gave him, and it's a shot he had to conquer to become a champion, and now he's a four-time champion. And the last thing I'll say is um, Matt Moore, my friend and colleague over the years, he's at the Action Network now, tweeted last night something to young fans and we're old now, young, young fans. You will, you will understand someday the profundity of watching an entire play, a player's entire career from start to finish in like an invested, maybe professional, maybe not professional way. And holy cow, did that tweet speak to me because my entire career covering basketball has been LeBron. I mean, I mean, it's a totally asymmetrical relationship, but LeBron barely knows who I am. I have thought, and watched and seen all the highs and lows the comic sans letter the decision uh the heatles introduction the meltdown in dallas the triumphs the following years the cleveland thing in game seven coming back against the warriors i've seen all of it i've thought about how much he's changed the game how the, the game has changed around him during his career and to be there last night after being there or thinking about so many other moments was a really awesome experience. So congratulations to LeBron James, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the NBA. Congratulations to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who handed off the baton in the dignified way you would expect from the all-time greatest statesman, maybe along with Bill Russell in the history of basketball. And let's bring on Tim McMahon to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. your team call one 800 direct or visit directtv.com sign up today claim based on total games carried on sports networks sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package and all right well the Kyrie irving in dallas got off to a rollicking start yesterday at practice here in los angeles and i felt like In the whirlwind of analysis of the trade, what does it mean for the Lakers? What about the Nets? What about Durant? The Mavs, the team who actually made the trade, the team who's actually betting on Kyrie Irving, betting on Kyrie Irving, got a little bit short of short shrift in the uh, analysis of it. So I wanted to bring in Tim McMahon. We've had like 48 hours or so to breathe on this. We've had a practice. We've had an interesting press conference. We have a game tonight against the Clippers. It's all it's all washing over us, Tim. We've had some time to think about it. Now that you've had a little time to reflect, how are we feeling about the Mavs trading two starters, an unprotected first-round pick, and a second-round pick to pair Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic?
1: Well, first of all, howdy, partner. i want to get my Thank salutation you. in there. This is a massive risk, and the, the thing about it is, look – they didn't give up what you usually have to get up to get a superstar talent. And that's for obvious reasons, because this is a superstar talent who's got all these major red flags that come along with him. And Oh, by the way, they're acquiring him as a, a rental player who perhaps this could be a long-term relationship. Uh, And so, you know, there's risk involved there and, you know, Somebody with the Mavericks said yes, but there's also protection there, meaning that, hey, if this doesn't work out, you know, if, if this test drive goes off the road, then, you know what, the Mavericks do have a fallback plan. It's not an ideal fallback plan. Let's not pretend like it's some kind of, hey, plan A, plan B, you know, potato, potato. You don't give up two starters an unprotected 2029 20, pick in a couple of seconds. To say, well, we if we move some money around, we can have max cap space. But that is the fallback plan. You know, Kyrie's uh bird rights could also there could be value there as far as a sign and trade possibility. But Good look, point. you make this trade because the whole goal, the primary goal of the organization since it it's become clear that Luka Doncic is special, which about a month into his rookie year, it's been finding a co-star for Luca. That was why they took the big swing on Porzingis midway through his rookie year. Obviously, that didn't work out. You know, you got Dinwiddie out of the deal. So you got like, you know, one fifth of Kyrie Irving eventually (laughs) from from that trade. Ah, Sorry. I'm not very good with these. I'm, I'm discombobulated. I'm not very good with these AirPods. But this is a big swing at a. No question, superstar with massive risk, and it's it's not done unless two guys are really pushing for it, Luka Doncic and Jason Kidd.
0: Um, the cap space plan B is interesting. I, I it's of course it's real. Like they could mm-hmm. have cap space. That's a real thing. Um, uh, probably what the proponents of that plan will will put in the nineteenth paragraph of describing that plan, and not the first, is. A we all know the history of the Dallas Mavericks and their cap space. Uh, a kidnapping was once involved is part of it. Uh and B you having traded one they still have the the Porzingis pick out the door. They have a 2029 20, yeah. pick out the door. Now they've staggered those so that they have a four-year window where they control all their picks and they can trade two of them mm-hmm. within that span. But as we've seen, two picks by itself when the the bidding on a star right. gets really frothy unless you have a star young prospect to add on to them, like that's not going to get it done. So you're, you're almost painting yourself into a corner where cap space is the only way to get the star. You've, you've, you've limited some of your optionality, not all of it because you do have those four pick windows, but it, it, it the cap spacing sounds better, I think in theory than it does in practice.
1: Well, and also who, who's the star you're going to get in free agency. Uh, that you know this summer, and it, it, the answer might be it won't be a star, but you can use that cap space to get assets. But the, you know, let's be real. Then you're back to square one with assets out the door. But like, look, James Harden. First of all, I don't uh, I, stylistically, I can't imagine Harden and and, and Luka together be like the Spider Man meme. Um, but uh, like, he's not leaving Philadelphia to come to Dallas. I think if he's leaving no. Philadelphia, we all know that he's going a little bit further south down. I-45, uh, back to Houston. You know, listen, if they thought Fred Van Vliet was a star, then they wouldn't have dug their heels in at Fred Van Vliet money for Jalen Brunson. And by the way, this does all go back to if you would have just given Brunson that extension, you know, maybe he's not a a he's not, as Jay Kidd said, he's not the same level as as Kyrie, but you're not, you're not this desperate to push all your chips in to make this Can kind I- of move.
0: Can I go on a Jalen Brunson tangent for thirty seconds?
1: Absolutely, it's your podcast.
0: That dude, you know, the sort of the book on him is like you know, he's just short, not a great athlete, kind mm-hmm. of, kind of like a fire hydrant. Gets by with craft and footwork and 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 guile. And I gotta say, like he's got craft and footwork and guile up the proverbial wazoo. But he is quicker in short spaces. That I think people give him credit for his like first step fast twitch, not even first step is like, just like twitchiness. If you watch the Knicks who play a lot of ISO ball, he's like roasting really good defenders. Like Paul George, Kawhi, he's like beating these guys off the dribble, getting inside position on them for floaters and stuff. He's been fantastic. And yeah, that is kind of the original sin of, yeah. of, of this, Um So so let's spin it forward further. First of all... um, Can can I
1: make one real quick point in fairness to the Mavericks as far as their past history of cap space lifts versus now? Listen, one of the main attractions of hiring former longtime Nike executive Nico Harrison as your general manager is he does have strong relationships, not just with players, but especially with players, agents as well, throughout the league. I do think he can be more effective as a recruiter than Donnie Nelson was, I also think players will be much more interested in playing for Jason Kidd than they were for Rick Carlisle. And with and Luka Doncic. We all have immense respect for Dirk Nowitzki, but I, you, you're talking about recruiting to a 23-year-old MVP candidate versus a 30-something. Hey, how much elite basketball does Dirk have left? So I'm not sitting here telling you I think the Mavericks are, are – you know, going to hit home runs in free agency. I'm just pointing out that it is different circumstances.
0: That That is very fair. And I said on my reaction pod uh, with Wendy the other day that, yes, the, the recruiting with Luca is just a different ballgame. There are going to be guys who, who view him as ball dominant as he has been as a very appealing player to play with, depending on your skill set. Uh, you're in Los Angeles. The Clippers and the Mavericks played tonight. Um, I am in Los Angeles. I am staying near the Mavericks. And have seen lots of Mavericks in the Mm -hmm. last 24 hours. What has been your, the reaction you've heard to Kyrie's um, press conference yesterday where, and I'll just say what he said. He said, nobody ever talks about his work ethic. He said he was an incredibly selfless leader in Brooklyn uh, he left the team in fourth place, exactly where it was supposed to be. He did what dis- I'm
1: supposed to do. <laughs> he, he, he did.
0: He, he 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 was incredibly selfless as a leader. Um, he uh, felt disrespected by the Nets brass and wished he had done more research on on, on them. Hashtag doing your own research. Um, and uh, and yeah, what 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 was the reaction you got from Mavs people about that?
1: You know, and and look, he started the press conference off by saying he feels really wanted in Dallas. And that was almost like, you know, the the setup move to to go on and uh, go on the attack on the Nets. It's like the jab step to set up the <laughs> going and dunking on the Nets. Here's the deal. There's an understanding. You don't trade for Kyrie Irving and, and just think everything's going to be, you know, quiet and, you know, peaceful like you know there's going to be stuff and 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 frankly I think that the the bigger reaction yesterday was relief because we're sitting there we get into the practice uh the practice over at USC we get in there and Kyrie scrimmage and then uh I think it was the Daily Beast had this story about Kyrie deleting the Instagram post that apologized for posting the the movie that you know obviously led to his suspension and all that And it's just like, man, like literally not even through a first practice. And this is a potential major controversy. So I think more than anything, there was a relief of, there was a series of questions there and he kind of took a while to get to it, but he at least said, I stand by my apology. So that was kind of like, okay, this is not going to be some kind of crazy. Here we go again, controversy in that regards. And, And that's the thing. It's like, when you're when you have Kyrie Irving, it's just like you hope that day is not the day where things just go haywire. And and he's talking about why isn't the focus my work ethic? Why is it all on the off-the-court stuff? It's like, Kyrie, man, listen, if you think like people want to come in here and and talk about like anti-Semitic controversy on, on a constant basis, like, dude. I don't know anybody who got into sports journalism with with that being their goal. Like trust me, we would love to talk about basketball. we would we would love to talk about the fact that this is, you know that he is one of the most brilliant offensive uh, creators, certainly, of this generation, one of the best ball handlers no and, you know, six foot two type of finishers in the history of the game. But there's always so much other stuff. And then that other stuff, like he barely played in half the games. he when he was in with, uh, with the nets, mostly because of all this other stuff. So it's hard to focus on the basketball brilliance. And obviously the guy, you're you not that skilled without putting a lot of work in, but the other thing about, uh, you know, if you want to talk about work ethic, you sh- show up to your actual job that you get paid for the vast majority of the time. And he hadn't done that and we'll see how it goes in Dallas, but you I'll say this: the the feedback I got from people in the league before the Mavericks did the trade, and then certainly after, was, you know, buckle up. I hope they know what they what they're in for. And they they look. Jason Kidd's known Kyrie for years. Nico Harrison worked with him at Nike for years. Uh, Two of the Mavericks' senior executives in the front office have come from the Nets within the last couple of years. They're not going into this blind, and maybe those relationships help keep things. calm and focused on basketball but more than anything they know exactly what the potential challenges and risks are
0: yeah I ran into a a bunch of Mavericks people yesterday after practice Mm -hmm. and I asked them all I said what what do you think like just did you see the clips and they kind of all grinned at me like they were like they were kind of like yeah yeah well we're Mm -hmm. gonna see how it goes." Game one's tomorrow. We're pretty optimistic about the team. Pretty good fit with Luca and the grin. Suggested like, can you just please ask me anything else? Just and can we just talk about anything else? And but well, they and, were very, they were very smiley and just kind of like, uh huh, yep, big trade. We did well, and, it. and
1: listen, from a cultural standpoint, you know, I've talked a lot about how important Jalen Brunson was to this team's culture. Obviously, he's been gone for a while. Doreen Finney-Smith might have been the most well-liked teammate in that locker room. This is, you know, this is a guy who came in as a, as a, you know, rangy, athletic, broken jump shot, undrafted project and worked his butt off and developed into, uh, you know, uh, one of the better three and D wings in the league, a guy who, I mean, there's a reason the Nets, like, there was no discussion about Dorian Finney Smith. Okay, Dorian has to be in this deal. Then we can talk about the rest. Um, and you know, look, he—he's uh, he, a guy who teammates love. I mean, you know, he signed a four-year, fifty-five million-dollar extension. Everybody, everybody who's around there is just so happy for him. He's like, man, like, and he passed up money. You know, he—he he passed up money because he wanted to be in Dallas. He could have gone to free agency and made more. But and we, you know, we asked him about that at the time. He goes, ma'am. My mama worked at churches for the first few years I was in the league. <laughs> like, I he's got $55 million. Like, life is good. He's going to be missed in that locker room. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, for all the just damage on his reputation coming from that bad stint, brief stint in Washington, he really fit well in that locker room. But hey, they, there's an understanding too that, you know what? that team wasn't going to win as it was constructed. They really needed a legitimate co-star. Kyrie's talent is
0: through the roof. And so, Hey, buckle up for the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make Picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. I think the fit on offense is going to be extraordinary. Yeah. And I, I've seen a lot of hand wringing about, well, there's only one ball. You know we all know what Luca does when he doesn't have the ball he's usually at half court just sort of relaxing doing nothing uh well how is how how is he gonna adapt to Kyrie he's gonna want want some juice with the ball how is oh, yeah. how is Kyrie gonna adapt to the highest usage rate player in the league monopolizing the offense I think they're both brilliant basketball players and they'll adapt and um the fact that they can both shoot dribble and pass at high levels it makes it a pretty seamless fit to me. I mean, it's not always going to look like the, the 2014 Spurs moving the ball, but it could look a lot like the 2018 Rockets, exactly. with James Harden and Chris Paul. And I do think, you know, this is a team that has been a completely dependent on Luca and be completely dependent on threes and, and free throws. They are, they are toward the top of the league in free throws, mostly because of Luca mm-hmm. Kyrie is going to add an injection of pace, mid range shooting, Unpredictability, and if they if they go about this the right way, and Jason Kidd forgot more about basketball than the last five minutes, and I will ever know in my life, they will lean hard into the Luca Kyrie slash Kyrie Luca pick and roll two man game, just as the Cavs did with LeBron and Kyrie, because. It just presents a host of bad choices, no matter who's the ball handler and who's the screener. And is Luca going to be willing to be a screener for Kyrie? He should, he should try to should lean into it. We'll see, but you know, Kyrie can screen for Luca. And if there's a point guard on Kyrie, uh, you can't switch it. Cause Luca will beat the crap out of you in the post. If, if you hedge it, Kyrie can flare out for threes. He can roll into open space and become a playmaker, switch it around, vice versa. Um, I they I think offensively it'll be fine,
1: yeah, and no question. Uh, and and uh, Luca, there was a game recently where he set several screens, and he was asked about screening after the game, and he kind of got that little Luca grin. And he said, "Well, you know, I've got a wide body, so <laughs> he 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 looks more like a pulling guard than a point guard sometimes, but and he can use that body to screen and look. Is there going to be some my turn your turn basketball? Sure,
0: that's with- the case for every team. It's everything. Well, but team. you know what, if you're going to play my turn your turn,
1: play play that style of basketball when you've got you know, we can argue two of the top 5 iso players in the league, two of the top two, 2 I mean what, it's a very short list statistically, uh two of the top 10. Um but so so there will be some of that. It's an ego management thing if anything, but look, they're going to score a ton of points. As far as the ego management goes, again, This trade doesn't happen unless Luka Doncic wants it to happen. So he needs to understand, along with that, he has to adapt a little bit. He has to give the ball up a little bit. He has to play differently a little bit. But Jason Kidd made a point to say, hey, this isn't two 23-year-olds trying to figure out who's the alpha. We understand this is Luka's team, still Luka's team, and it's going to be Luka's team. And so basically, very clearly, Kyrie, you are the co-star, you know the, the sidekick, however you want to, you know, one B, whatever you want to say. But it's it's Luca's show, and this trade was made in large part to convince Luca, hey, we we will go all in for championships as long as we have you. The other thing, whether this particular partnership works out or not, the Mavericks get to see how Luca plays when he has. Another bona fide, no questions asked superstar alongside with him. Um, so and I, and and one thing that we have seen a lot of, by the way, is teams trapping Luca. basically as soon as he crosses half court. Hey, we'd rather play four on three than let you go
0: one on one. We don't have any faith that any of your other players can dribble and make plays. And some of them can sometimes, but we're willing to take the chance that our defense is good enough mm. to beat sometimes
1: right and and you're not taking it you're not letting Kyrie you know run downhill playing four on three you know as, as Theo Penson uh legendary hype man and former Kyrie teammate in Brooklyn said he basically pick your poison well <laughs> you want to trap Luca cool we'll swing it to another killer and like you're not letting Kyrie play four on three that's just that's not a reasonable option and then the last thing here is it's not just about how does it fit with Luca. Obviously, Luca, especially in the playoffs, is probably going to play forty minutes a game. Part one of the biggest problems for the Mavericks—they just got their first win in the game. Luca has missed this year; they're now one and seven. Um, this offense has produced at the best rate in the NBA. You know, would be number one in the NBA with just Luca on the floor, number thirty without. If Kyrie is available, and he isn't always, but if he is. It ain't gonna be the worst offense in the NBA when Luca rests.
0: Um, yeah, and that's the obvious that's the obvious point to to sort of jump off to. Um I, I think if there's look, we all know that that the big question is defense, right? Like it doesn't take a basketball mm-hmm. genius to look at this team and say you just traded your best perimeter defender who can who can guard anything from one to four and got a not good defensive player. I mean, Kyrie can dial it up against point guards when he wants to, but he's undersized against every other position and he doesn't always want to. Um, If, if there's a broader, even other roster issue than that, I think trading two perimeter players and one wing for one perimeter player. Who's a point guard has thinned out their perimeter rotation to the point where I think the roster is a little too lopsided toward big men. And and so so you project, like, I, I don't know even who the starting lineup is going to be. If I, if you ask me right now to guess who their starting lineup is, when they get everybody healthy and available, I think I would pick Kyrie, mm-hmm. Bullock.
1: I, you might want to put Luke in there. I think he'll be in there.
0: Oh, he'll be. We're, we're going to get to Luca Kyrie, Bullock, Josh Green, Luca and Dwight Powell. Which means Hardaway comes off the bench, Wood comes back off the bench. Now there are many other iterations of that where you can slide Hardaway who, who, whose bench, Hardaway and uh, and Christian Wood.
1: Yeah, who, whose bench are they coming off of?
0: Oh well, that's we have some days to go before the trade deadline. Yeah, so and they're saying. be
1: they're be they're both being shopped. I think most most likely is the Mavericks won't be able to find value there. It's I, I agree with you as far as that would be their best their best lineup uh, locker room management can be difficult in the nba
0: yes but uh, but my broader point is uh, you have the two star ball handlers and after mm-hmm. that we're down to i think three perimeter players three wings slash guards who you really really trust to the degree you trust them hardaway bullock and green who has become a massively important player for their team and a redemption story for the front office that is mostly yes. gone that drafted him over Desmond Bain and got on it every single day. And by the way, still rather have Desmond Bain, but Josh Green's pretty good. Um, shout out
1: Bob Vulgaris. <laughs> um, and
0: and I've been I've been on Josh Green Island. You can check my ten things columns. I have the receipts. I've been on Josh Green Island when he wasn't playing. He's a good player. Um, keeping so,
1: him out of this trade was if there was a negotiating win for the Mavericks in this trade, it was keeping Josh Green out of it.
0: Just like the Wolves won the Gobert trade by keeping Jaden McDaniels out of it.
1: <laughs> That's why I said if.
0: <laughs> which brings you to the bench. Uh, so if you start if you start two of those three guys, Bullock and Green, you've only got one left coming off the bench. If you start big, like if you start Wood and Powell, which is a lineup we haven't seen that much of, then you can have two of them coming off the bench. I would bet they'll start smaller with Luka as kind of the four.
1: Well, and 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 one other thing here, um, that is, we talk about a twenty fourth ranked defense that just lost their their best defender, right? Well, their their other best defender has been out for a while, and Maxi Kleba. It's, I mean, I went to college for eight years. I'm not a doctor. It's, I to me, it seems like a medical miracle. He tells us, "Hey, I think I'm ready to roll after the All Star break. He's he's back to practice. He hadn't played five on five yet, but he's ramping up. Um, and he is such a critical glue guy for them. You know, spaces the floor, but more than anything, he just keeps that defense connected. I, starting him is difficult because you have to manage his minutes under any circumstances, but especially coming back off a hamstring. But you're gonna get a guy who's a really key part." of that rotation does give you the flexibility because you can space the floor to play big and still have spacing. Um and then again, you know, we'll see we'll see exactly what the roster looks like when the when the buzzer sounds at the trade deadline. We'll they, they would love to get uh a, some kind of, you know, defensive upgrade from from either Christian Wood and by the way, if you think Christian was getting a contract extension when Souter kept space as the fallback plan, good luck to you. Should, maybe should have pounced on that one when it was there. They'd love was to it ever it. there? Huh?
0: Was it ever really there?
1: Uh, they were willing to discuss. I don't know that it was actually on yeah, the table.
0: If you're willing to discuss an extension that you know the other guy won't take, I don't know that the extension was ever really there, which is why I kept saying there's a less than 5% chance of a
1: well, of I a contract I like extension, five percent chance at this point. Um, but like I said, they're trying to get a defensive upgrade either from Wood or from Hardaway. You know, and and to your point about the the perimeter depth, this team certainly drastically upgraded that second ball handler. You went from Spencer Dinwiddie, who's a, he's a good player, good player, to you know a, a Hall of Fame talent. You still only have two ball handlers on the roster, Jaden Hardy. Rookie second round pick just had 29 and a win over the Jazz. I do believe he has a bright future in this league. I do not believe Jason Kidd is going to give him minutes uh, down the stretch. You know while they're fighting for playoff position and into the playoffs. So you know if if there's a deal where they could get a a it, maybe it's not the defensive upgrade, but if you can get a third ball hand, I think that that Nico Harrison would pounce on that. Uh, for Hardaway or Wood as well, like the Karis LeVert Hardaway thing's kind of been rumored, bandied about. Um, before, I, I didn't get a sense the Mavericks were too excited about that, other than the financial stuff. Now, I do believe they would pounce on it. Um, my understanding is the the Cavaliers have kind of said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I don't think the
0: Cav- I don't think the Cavs are doing that." Yeah, um- like I don't think that makes us better. Well if uh, I can if if I can't get a ball handler, I'd at least like another wing, which is yeah. why I I'd, I'd be calling Portland, is there any way I can get Josh Hart? Um yeah. uh, Josh Hart's got a lot of suitors. I don't have picks to trade anymore. I got I I, I got to look at what kind of seconds they might be able to offer. Is there any way that I can get in that sweepstakes? You know, work? that's
1: interesting because um I know that the Rockets almost they they felt like they were really close to trading Christian Wood to the Blazers. Not this summer that the Mavericks got Wood, but the summer before, and then there was a drought of discussions uh, for for Wood until the Mavericks jumped in in the summer. But and you know, help me with the timeline. I believe that was actually the Neil Shea era, not uh, not the Joe Cronin it was, era. It was yeah. right. So you know that, but that's a, that's an in, that that's an interesting you know potential. Like the salaries would fit, I believe. So that's we'll see.
0: Well, but the, here's the here's the bottom line. If that's their starting five, if that's what it ends up being, well, let's talk about Kleba first because I'm glad you brought up Kleba. Yeah. Kleba is a massively important part of their team. He's a really, really good defensive player. Really good. Can protect mm-hmm. the rim. He can switch. We saw in the playoffs last year, Kleba was their essentially their starter. Like the, the Dwight Powell. He's minutes, he's their closer.
1: You know, he's, he's on the it, court for the it, most it, important minutes.
0: Yeah. and and they went five out with him. They took Powell out. The the Doncic would. Kleba Trio is plus nine per 100 possessions so far this season. It makes a lot of sense as a double big lineup because of kleba's defensive versatility. you can hide wood wherever it's safest to hide wood and you throw Kyrie Irving in there and pick Bullock and Green, that's a real lineup that we're going to see. That's a good lineup. If Christian Wood's on the team, that's going to be a lineup that we're going to see yes. um but if they start the lineup that I talked about before, Kyrie Bullock, Green, Luca, Dwight Powell. The bench becomes, let's say Kyrie, because they're obviously going to stagger Luca right. and Kyrie. So he'll, he'll one of the ball hand here. one of the ball handlers, Tim Hardaway Jr., Kleba Wood, and then a hole for the fifth guy who's a perimeter player, which is either I'm really overburdening the Bullock Green duo, which which maybe that in the playoffs you, you do. You just you just split that between them. Or well, last
1: year they did that with Bullock and, and Finney Smith. They Josh could take Green. them off the floor.
0: They yeah, couldn't Green couldn't shoot it
1: well enough. And now Green's, like, Josh Green's going to be a really, really good player. And he's about to be, I think, a, a mid-30-minute type of player.
0: But if you don't do that, your options are, do we play, like, super big with Bertans or Markeith Morris? That seems bad. Or do we dip into Nilakina and the other name you just brought up, Jaden Hardy, uh, who's been very, very good in the last couple of weeks when he's gotten minutes, but he doesn't get minutes all the time. I just they're they're kind of a guy short, but in the playoffs we've seen with them again with with Dorian and Reggie they couldn't take them off the floor last year. Maybe they just ride them as hard as they can ride them. Um,
1: you know, maybe it, there's a buyout situation. I don't like say Will Barton gets bought out. I I don't know. He's I've heard a lot of Nets stuff with him. You know, bring to bring back Josh Richardson on the buy. I don't know. You know, they, they, those if, guys if they would don't... be
0: those guys would be helpful. Like they can yeah. stop. I mean, I don't know about Barton who can't get on the floor for the wizards until, until unless they're showcasing him for a trade or so injured that they have to play him. Jay rich is shot at well from three this year. I know it was a bust. The Seth Curry for Josh Richardson thing was a bust for Dallas. Yeah. He can, he can be a ninth guy. He's, he's a decent player.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's not Rick Carlisle anymore. It's a different regime. Um, I, you know, I, I, I he's, he, certainly got along with Luca fine is actually has known Luca since Luca's first trip to America when they were, when he went over to P three and they're playing pickup ball and Josh green, or I'm sorry, Josh Richardson couldn't believe this dude was 17 years old. Um, so, I don't know. Like I said, if they don't, if they aren't able to get anything more done at the deadline, uh, then I think they have to be aggressive and they would have an extra roster spot too. I think they'd have to be aggressive in the buyout market.
0: Last question. The West appears to be open-ish, although I think the Nuggets would it would look askance. I think Nikola Jokic would look askance scanty you know, open.
1: Yeah, open? the Nuggets. Did you are di- check the standings. The, yeah, we're, we're people disrespecting us. Like, dude, the Nuggets have the second-best record in the league by a half game. and Jamal Murray's been ramping oh, up man. all season. It's,
0: the biggest under-the-radar story in the league right now is Jamal yeah. Murray. Looks like Jamal Murray again.
1: Yeah, he looks like Jamal Murray again. You know, Porter's back, healthy, and hooping. Jokic just keeps putting like he had a triple double by like the six minute mark of the first quarter against the Wolves last night. I mean, the guy's ridiculous. Aaron Gordon. Hey, I'm, you know, if you want to put Jaron Jackson Jr. in the all-star game, fine. Aaron Gordon had at least as good of a case, uh, in my opinion, like, and we'll see what, if anything they can get for bones, but the nuggets are clearly the favorite in the Western conference. So we can, well, that that's my only beef with people saying, oh, the West is wide open. I, look,
0: I agree. But look, it's, I agree. it's
1: it's it's open, but there is a clear cut favorite.
0: I will say as long as the Nuggets are like 15th or worse in defense, none of these other teams are going to look at them with fear, with yeah. with the kind of fear you would associate with a runaway number one seed. There's some there's a Greg Popovich appropriate fear. There's res- absolute respect for Jokic and what he can do to your defense but people aren't looking at the Nuggets like oh my god man we got no shot in that series and then you know the Grizzlies are up and down the Pelicans have fallen off a cliff the Kings again I don't think anyone is like frightened of the Kings right. the Warriors can't get out of their own way although they won their first game without Steph they've, they've been fine <clears throat> the Suns to me about that 13 seed baby whoo that big threat sitting in the 13 seed the clips, not the, no, we're not. Um, The clips are coming together, but you know, again, like people are kind of like, okay, like call me when they can play every game for more than a month.
1: The well, Suns, and let's
0: see, let's see
1: who's playing point guard for the after the deadline. That'll the be Suns, interesting.
0: The Suns to me are kind of, people are sleeping on how well the Suns have kind of righted the ship a little bit and Booker and CP are back and they're going to be active at the deadline. I think people are sleeping on them as a threat. This is my long winded way of asking. There was a lot of talk. In, like Perk was on this right after the trade. Like, this is a team that can make the finals. This is a contender. Do you, Tim McMahon, think this is a team that can make the finals?
1: Can yeah, can sure, because you know, you're probably going to have the best player on the floor in every series. Uh, you, you might have one and two, likely at least one and three. So, sure, it's a possibility. Do do I look at this team and say, ooh, man. The Mavericks just gave up two starters, a 24th ranked defense, gave up their best defender. They bring in Kyrie. Boom, baby. It, this is a championship team. No, I, I I, don't look at it like that. I don't. I think the ceiling is higher. Um, but look, I wouldn't be shocked if this team gets bounced in the first round either.
0: I'm with you. I just when you stack them up against the best teams and and I realize that. A lot of the best teams are in the East, so we're talking about a conversation that um, that is premature in that sense. Even the Warriors, if the Warriors are at full strength mm. and they face this team as currently constructed in a playoff series, I don't care if Dallas has home court. I'm picking the Warriors. I just feel like they're a little short as of now. Again, it's 8.30 a.m. Pacific time on Wednesday before the trade deadline. We've got 28 hours left. Right. I think they're just a little thin and a little. It's it it's like it's hard to make an in season trade of this magnitude and just rock it right to the finals. Um, and a and a little defensively challenged again. Klebo will help. I just mm-hmm. contender just feels like I just it, maybe maybe it's just like I just for good reason don't trust anything Kyrie Irving related to last at this point. And right. even when the Nets won eighteen of twenty, I was like they look awesome. They look amazing. I, I just don't. I have no belief that this will sustain, and sure enough, Kyrie doesn't play for the Nets anymore.
1: Well, um, and, and and the argument is, hey, dude, Luca with Brunson as is as the number two guy last year went to the West Finals. Kyrie is a is a significant step up in terms of 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 talent and offensive skill from Brunson, and and I would certainly agree with that. And I would also say Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, was the was their third ball hander. They always had two ball handers on the floor. Dorian Finney Smith averaged forty plus minutes per game during the playoffs and was guarding the, you know, the best player uh, on the other team. So like three guys, three really key guys, three of their top five players arguably from that playoff run are gone. Um you know, in, in some ways, essentially to to bring in Kyrie.
0: Tim McMahon, I'll see you at crypto.com arena later tonight for Kyrie Irving's first game, the Dallas Mavericks against the fight in Los Angeles Clippers. It's always good to see you. I can't wait to see you in person. Maybe we can have, could we have a beverage after the game? You can't, might, you can't, you can't. You're, you're on the Kyrie. I
1: need, I listen, I need them. I need them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the trade deadline. We can't have a beverage. Yet. Well, okay, that's, that's
1: my concern. I was going to say, we could certainly have a post Lakers Bucks now uh, brusky or tooski I, I i think we can squeeze that in
0: what a what a week of games here at the at the crypt tim mcmahon thank you sir
1: adios amigo appreciate you